Welcome to Lo-Fi Lectionary. Hi everyone and welcome to Lo-Fi Lectionary, Luke 6. Oh, this is going to be great, but real quick. You think it's strange that there's a way of how you looked and how you acted and how you think and pretend they're not the same as you? Alright guys, I am here in the office. Um, I got kicked out of my usual little podcasting closet because there's a wedding going on here in the building, so I had to move down here. So hopefully it doesn't sound, uh, hopefully the sound is okay, but uh, I'm wearing my Lucky Five Iron shirt and my dinosaur hoodie, and I've got my big jar of water so I don't smack my lips through this whole thing. Let's go. This is going to be good. Thanks for being here. Lo-Fi Lectionary, your podcast for the spiritually curious and the religiously burned out. Let's dig into Luke 6. Let me take a drink. All right, and we're going to start off with me trying to tell you the story of Luke so far in two minutes. Let's do this. On your mark. Get set. Go! All right, the story of Luke starts off with Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they're about to have a baby, and they are Batman because they're awesome because they're kind of uh, had, a, had a rough life, but they're still righteous, and the baby's going to prepare a way for another baby. Uh, an angel appears to Luke and says, do not be afraid. You found favor with God. The Lord is with you. There's going to be a baby. He's going to be a king. He's going to have a king with no, kingdom with no end. He's going to be the son of God. And uh, Mary says, all right, that's great. God, you bring down the powerful and lift up the lowly. You fill the hungry. You send the rich away empty. There's this big themes of God wanting to show favor on people and lifting up the low and lowering the high. It's all about societal change. And then uh, we get a birth. Jesus is born, and he's he's not born like a regular king. He's born very humbly. He's born in a manger. So he's served by shepherds. Uh, weird people like recognize him and announce that he's king instead of uh, big fancy people in a palace. And uh, then John the Baptist shows up, and he starts working, and he's like, hey, guys, someone, the Messiah is coming. It's going to be real important, and he's going to have an axe, and he's going to toss things into fire. It's going to be real bad, so repent and change your ways. Get ready. He's coming. And then Jesus is baptized, and a, and a dove comes down, a peaceful figure, and there's a voice from God that says, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I will please. Oh, bump the microphone. And then uh, Jesus says his thesis statement. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to give good news to the poor and declare the year of the Lord's favor and set people free. And... Uh, and heal people. It's going to be great. And people love it, but some people don't like it when he starts to do good things for people who are outside of who they think should get good things. Uh, Jesus' ministry begins, and he casts out demons, and people are amazed, and he heals people, and he, he heals a leper, and that's normally not someone that you're supposed to touch, but Jesus touches him. And uh, Jesus starts gathering disciples. He uh, picks uh, Peter to be his student, and he picks Levi, tax collector, to be his student. He starts partying with sinners, and there's a group of people called the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, and they don't like what Jesus is doing because they think that they should be separate from sinners and bad people, but Jesus is going and partying with them, and he's he's having too much fun, and his people don't fast and pray, and it's and so there's a big conflict escalating, and that's the story where we're at right now. Oh my gosh, I made it! That was one minute fifty-seven seconds. Hey, it's gonna get hard as we go though. So let's go ahead and dig into the text. One Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields. His disciples picked some heads of grain and rubbed them in their hands and then ate them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he gave them some, he gave some to his companions? Then he said to them, the Lord, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. 
So this is our first little story. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field. They pick some grain, which is is maybe technically, according to some you know interpretation of the Sabbath laws, is work. Um, and we're getting a continuation of the escalating conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus that we saw in Luke 5. So with the paralyzed man, they were questioning him. The problem was over, well, who is Jesus and what relationship does Jesus have to God that allows him to be, you know, a representative that allows him for, to forgive sins? And with then with uh, Jesus is having dinner with tax collectors and sinners, he's having fellowship with them. And the conflict is kind of over. Well, you shouldn't be having favor. You know, you shouldn't be having fellowship and be giving good things to people who are sinners. You know, it's like who's allowed to identify and receive goodness from God. It's kind of you know, the big complaint that they have there. And then they complain that, you know, him and his disciples don't fast and pray like good disciples should. They eat and drink, you know, and so it's, they have questions about how he lives out his devotion to their religion. And now here the conflict is over the nature of the religion kind of itself. Um, so, um, Quick review of, it's it's Sabbath, it's supposed to be a, a day of rest. So they had a day, the seventh day of the week, so what we would consider Saturday, um, it's supposed to be a day where you don't work. You're supposed to rest. It's actually in their law that they're not allowed to work. You know, um, there's a story of creation and there's a seventh day, you know, in creation where God decides to rest and just look at and enjoy creation. And after the Israelites get freed um, from slavery in Egypt, there's a big emphasis on, okay, now that you're not slaves anymore, you're not supposed to be just working and working and working every day. The world and life is not just about work. You have a day where you rest and enjoy it. Um, and so it's actually part of their law that you're not supposed to work. Now, um, there was great variety in how people at the time lived out this law and what counted as work and what counted as not work. And some people had very strict interpretations and customs regarding that law. And some people had really lax, you know, regulations and uh, customs regarding that law. So it's it's going to be a point of contention between Jesus and others because his way of interpreting the Sabbath law is going to be different. Um, but it looks like the debate here isn't just about the Sabbath law itself, um, because it's, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answers, have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, so the temple, and he took and ate the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence was something the priests leaved inside the temple as being like, this is something we give for God. So this is like God's bread for God to eat alone. Um, to remind us that God is here and he lives here. There's going to be bread here. And David would, one day, like him and his friends were hungry and they had no other food, so they actually took God's bread and ate it themselves. It's this idea of what we do for a practice doesn't come at the cost of us going without food that we need. And so here on the Sabbath, the disciples are hungry, so they pick grains and they rub them and they eat them. Like they're not trying to dishonor God, they're trying to fulfill the hunger that they have. And so um, Jesus kind of turns it around and he's like, well, it seems like the debate isn't so much just about the interpretation of the Sabbath law, but it's like, what are the purpose of these laws in the first place? And what's the purpose of our religion? Is it to help people experience God's goodness? Like, you know, and so therefore if they're hungry, like, can they bend those rules in order to survive and live and thrive? Or are the rules so strict because the religion is all about just 
honoring and worshiping God and you don't take what's God's, you know, and you don't mess with the rules because God might get upset, you know, like, does God value his own honor more than people getting the food that they need? And Jesus sides on the side of no, like if people are hungry and need it, they should eat, even if it's not a strict adherence to Sabbath law. And there's other examples of this in the Old Testament. One that gets highlighted by uh, a scholar named Craig Keener is there's a passage in the book of Chronicles where uh, Hezekiah, who's a king, actually has everyone celebrate the Passover at the wrong time because they couldn't celebrate it at the right time. And so the idea is that they're trying to fulfill the law and do what's right, but sometimes that means they have to actually supersede um, the actual letter of the law. Like, So the spirit of the law takes precedence over its practice strictly for Jesus. And he's like, I have, I'm citing sources for that, so you can't just get mad at me, you know. Um, so uh, here also uh, I'll point out um, Jesus uses a phrase, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Um, so Jesus uses this name for himself. Um, there's no scholarly consensus on what exactly this title means. Um, so again, like how in the last podcast we talked about the word Kyrie could be people saying, oh, like you're God, or it could be people saying like, oh, you're like a Lord master. You're like a, a really respected person. You're like a teacher. Um, here, the son of man is kind of in the same way, because in some texts we have it used as being like a, the son of man is spoken of as someone who would come, who would be a Messiah figure, a savior. Um, and sometimes son of man seems to be just used to being like, I'm a son of man. I'm a person. So it's like saying this guy. <laughs> um, so is Jesus saying the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath? Like the Messiah, me? Or is he saying like, Hey, this guy is Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> you know, um, it's kind of hard to tell. So you can't really lean in and try and make a big argument either way, or at least from anything I've seen so far. But I just wanted to explain that quick in case you're like, son of man, what does that mean? Because it's capitalized. Um, we talked about the Sabbath. Uh, plucking grain. Um, there was a law, um, one of my favorite Old Testament laws, and it's really fun, and it comes to action in the book of Ruth, if you ever read the book of Ruth from the Old Testament. Um, there is actually a law that says when you go and pick grain from your fields, you intentionally leave some grains unpicked. So that way if poor people are, or people who are traveling come by and need something to eat, there will be something for them to pick and eat so they can go home and feed their families. Um, and the disciples and Jesus wandering through the fields and they are just like, look, grain, pick the grain, they eat it. Um, and that was kind of custom at the time. And um, whether or not that breaks Sabbath law, because whether or not that counts as actual work work um, is, is up to debate. So um, the Pharisees here are taking a very strict um, reading of the Sabbath law, whereas Jesus a little more lenient. So uh, it's interesting. Let's go ahead and continue on in the story. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And there was a man who's, there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and Pharisees watched Jesus to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath so that they might find an accusation against him. Even though he knew what they were thinking, he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come and stand here. The man got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to, to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to destroy it? After looking all around at all of them, he said, Stretch out your hand. 
And the man did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So here, this next scene, again, it's Jesus teaching, but no teaching yet. It's just action. Um, And it's another Sabbath. So they're all meeting in the synagogue, like the local community place, and Jesus is teaching. So he's kind of being recognized as a traveling teacher. They want to hear what he has to say. And the scribes and the Pharisees are watching, you know, very closely. So he's got his followers, but he's also got other people following him around who are there just to watch to kind of find something against him. They don't like him. They're being critics. Um, And it's the similar conflict as we saw in the last scene. Like, is the Sabbath good for people or is it not? Like, hey, on the Sabbath, is it lawful to do good? To help other people out? Like, is that work? Are we, like, not allowed to do that? And therefore, Jesus says, that means if I'm not allowed to do that, like, that means I'm doing harm on the Sabbath. And am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed to, like, destroy life on the Sabbath? Like, Jesus is taking this very seriously. Um, So, again, the question is, is the Sabbath supposed to be something that's good for people? Or is it not? You know? And Jesus makes a decision to side on the side of showing goodness and favor to people who are in need over observing the law strictly. Um, He refrains from doing any sort of physical action to heal. And maybe that's his way of kind of skirting the issue of being like, "Ah, I'm not going to work, you know, Um, I'm just going to use my words because talking's not work, you know. Um, so he tells the guy to stretch out his hand and stretching out your hand wouldn't be considered weak either. So no strict work done. But uh, but they're, he knows that they're watching really closely, and he uses that opportunity to bring up, hey, is the Sabbath supposed to be for people, or is it, or is it for God in a sense that it doesn't matter if it's bad for people or not? It's supposed to be something just for God. Um, so, uh, so Jesus heals the guy. Pretty cool. Um, so the tension is now escalating, because they're actively following him around, actively looking for an accusation against him, and then at the end, they're filled with fury. And they start discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. So the tension in the storyline is escalating. Like the action, like if you if you think back, if you ever had to study storytelling like in college and you, you drew a little line graph about where the rising action and stuff like that is, it's starting to rise. It started with them questioning. It started with them complaining. Now they're looking for accusations. Now they're meeting together, secret meetings discuss one another like what are they going to do about this guy like he's he's not going to stop and his actions aren't so clear that we can outwardly punish him but we got to do something about him um because we're not going to stop and he's not going to stop so it's going to come to a head sooner or later so let's go ahead and continue on in the story now during those days jesus went out to the mountain to pray And he spent the night in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. And then there's a list. Simon, who he named Peter. So they're Simon and Peter, same person. And his brother Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, which is such a fun name. And Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, so a second James, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, so a second Simon, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. That's the end of the list. So we get repeats of a number of these names. So there's multiple Jameses, there's multiple Judases, um, there's multiple Simons, even though one of them is just, you know, the father of someone else. Um, 
no, yeah, there's two Simons. Um, so, uh, so, uh, they repeat because they're really common names. So when I was a kid growing up in the eighties in elementary school, um, my track in my elementary school. So I was in the same classes with all these same kids every year. We had three Jennifers at the time, Jennifer, big name in the eighties. And so apparently at the time of Jesus, Simon's a common name, you know, James is a common name. Uh, Judas is a common name, so that's why they get repeated. Um, so if you're curious about that, there's just a little historical fact for you. So, um, here's where the story turns. So, uh, we have two of these Sabbath stories and Jesus at both one is conflicts with the Pharisees. And then the story turns where Jesus goes out on a mountain and he prays and he prays all night. So we've seen Jesus kind of retreat for a while to pray, but here he's praying all night. It's like an earnest, devoted kind of prayer. So as the tension and the conflict is escalating, Jesus's sense of, of, of you know, like what he needs to do to be ready, like is also escalating. And this is just a fun storytelling moment. But in the last chapter, um, Jesus and his disciples are criticized for like not praying earnestly enough. Like they're like, oh, you're, you guys are hanging out and you eat and drink. You guys don't fast and pray enough. And Jesus is like, hey, while I'm here, it's not the time for fasting, you know, and praying in that way. We're, we're going to celebrate and experience some goodness, you know. And then the religious people are so relentless in following him around and accusing him and bothering him, and criticizing all the good things that he's doing, Jesus starts like the fasting, praying kind of behavior. So just a little side point, ironically, what makes Jesus change from partying to fasting and praying, even when maybe that's not exactly what he wants to do? It's the hardcore religious folks. Take with that what you will. It's in the story of the book of Luke. <laughs> um and then his response as this tension is escalating is he kind of gets his group together. He puts some more organization uh, to the people that have been following him. The word disciples is another word for students. So disciples are people that would follow a teacher around. Um, so don't get too thrown off by that. Um, then we also get this term used as apostles. So Jesus calls all of his disciples, but then he picks 12 of them, of the disciples, to be the apostles. Um so the the word apostle in Greek um, is means like one who is sent or a messenger, um, and in the in the Greek version of what we today call the Old Testament, so in the Greek versions of the the scriptures um, that Jesus and his people read, and they might be reading them more um, in the Greek form where Jesus lives than in their their more ancient Hebrew form, um, they use this word apostolos um, apostle. Um, as someone who is authorized as a messenger to speak for the person who sends them. Um, so like a prophet, um, you know, is someone who, not just someone who has a message from God, but someone who's like been authorized to carry and represent God. So amongst this community of Jesus's uh, disciples, like all of his students, he picks 12 to be like authorized representatives and messengers. And so um, as we're reading the story, as we're just reading it as a piece of story, you can kind of pick it apart a little bit and wonder, is this like just like a natural thing that Jesus does? He's like, oh, we need, you know, we're, as we're getting bigger, we need some more organization. Or as the tension and the conflict is growing and as people are trying to find ways to get Jesus, like, is Jesus like 
I need a to have a close core group of you guys. You're all my students and you can all follow me, but you know what? Some of you guys are going to be a little bit closer in than the rest. Um, is, is he, is he picking friends to get support from, like to connect relationally, to make sure that he can continue on in this work, like as things are going to get tougher? Like that's kind of, that's, that's, that's potentially a real neat way to, to think about it. Like there's not just an organizational need, but Jesus has a relational need as well. Um, and then the last comment on this, uh, the last sentence, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor, so dun, 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 foreshadowing. So storytelling device, Luke has already laid it out for you. Um, you know, and, and as in the last chapter, we saw some foreshadowing where Jesus is like, hey, um, you know, we're celebrating now, but sooner or later, the bridegroom is going to be taken away and they'll be sad then, you know, there's going to be a time for mourning later. Um, here we get Judas who will become a traitor, you know, so Luke is laying it out there very clearly. He's putting out the structure for you a little bit. So we won't be terribly surprised when that happens later. So, um, and we'll see what that comes with later. Uh, let's go ahead and continue on in the text. So, uh, here, here it goes. He came down with them. So Jesus came down with his disciples and apostles and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all in the crowd were trying to touch him for power came out from him and healed all of them. So um, this is the setup uh, for the first big teaching block that we're going to get. So Jesus comes down um, from the mountain where he's been praying and where he kind of met with his closest group and he picked them. They all come down together. So he's finished his little retreat and now there's a crowd building uh, waiting for him and uh, they're coming from all over the land. So he's not traveling town to town so much anymore as everywhere he goes, crowds are coming and following him. Um, there's, a there's some excitement, um, building. Um, so crowds have started to build wherever he goes. Um, and you, as, as exciting as it is that crowds are building also their desperation seems to be kind of building as well. It's, it's, it's not just people who are curious coming to him. It's people who are desperate to be healed of their diseases or who are troubled with unclean spirits and, um, you know, lucky for them as Jesus is there, um, you know, power is just coming out of him to heal all of them. Um, so desperation, excitement, kind of a mix. And, uh, let's see where this goes next. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you will be filled Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. So Jesus starts off his first big block of teaching. Luke has been telling us that he's been teaching 
everywhere he's gone, but not given us what the, 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 the text of the teaching is. And here he has Jesus coming down from the mountain and he is going to start laying out a lot of stuff. So our conversation is going to change a little bit because we're not so much describing a story um, as looking at what Jesus is actually teaching. Um, and that's part of the story, so it's going to be kind of tricky, but it might feel a little bit different as we talk. So um, first big block of teaching, um, you know, it's not just that he happened to be in the synagogue and he's teaching. He's like, okay, you're all here to hear from me. Here's what I have to say. Um, and it starts off with this um, set of blessings, three blessings, followed by a set of three woes. Actually, there's four woes. Um and they kind of mirror each other, you know, one is blessed are you who are hungry, you know, and then later on it's blessed are you who are full, you know, bl- you know, blessed are you who are poor, um, oh, sorry, four blessings, four woes, um, you know, blessed are you, uh, woe to you who are rich. So they kind of mirror each other, that's an ancient technique called parallelism. Um, it's, it, well, it's ancient, but people still use it today. But, um, but so they kind of mirror each other, and remember, uh, back then they believed in dynamic language, so when they would pray, when they would curse, when they would bless, or when they would announce woes, um, it was like a weird combination of, um, by speaking them into existence, you're either, you're making them more real, like you're either pronouncing this is the way the world is, but you're also kind of, by pronouncing them, making them more real and bringing them into the experience of the people that hear it, so... Jesus starts off with, I'm going to create, I'm going to pronounce a reality over you. And here's who's going to be blessed in that. Um, So who's blessed? The poor, the hungry, people who are weeping, people who are hated, excluded, reviled, and defamed. Um, And then he pronounces woes. Um, you know, he's bringing into reality, like, this is who things aren't going to be good for, and it's not good for you now. And woes go to the rich, those who are full, those who are laughing, and those who everyone speaks well of. Um, and these echo Mary's song, you know, as Mary um, sang, you know, earlier in the beginning of Luke, you know, she talked about how God is the one who fills the hungry and sends the rich away empty, who lifts up the low and lowers the proud. So um, this isn't out of place as a theme for what's going on in the book of Luke. Um, And Jesus is talking and saying this to his, you know, his disciples in the crowd. So all these people who are sick, all these people who have had unclean spirits, Um, his disciples, some of whom, you know, were former tax collectors and sinners, some of whom have given up lucrative careers, like chosen potentially a life of poverty to go and be a part of what Jesus is doing. Um, you know, so when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, like that's a good amount of his audience. Plus just the average person in Israel, as they were occupied by Rome, were living in poverty. So that's like every, you know, everybody, um, uh, and, and the fact that this is kind of, the, these are the blessings and these are the woes kind of together, this reveals, um, a, a kind of theological framework, um, that you might call apocalyptic theology, where Jesus is basically already acknowledging the reality that like, yeah, for a lot of you, things are awful. Um, you know, in Jesus's tradition, um, and, you know, especially when it leans to what we call apocalyptic thinking, um, there's never a kind of way of thinking that what God wants for people to do is to deny the hardship of their reality. 
sometimes um, other religions and other ways of even thinking about this religion um, kind of might lean towards that. Like, it's like, okay, guys, we're all just going to be positive um, and pretend that things are going to be okay. And maybe that will create a reality where things are going to be totally okay. But here, Jesus is like, you're hungry now. You're weeping now. Some people hate you, <laughs> you know? Um, he's not denying their reality for a lot of people. And that's kind of at the heart of, of a lot of apocalyptic thinking. Um, like Jesus is like, you guys have every reason to kind of feel bad because things in the present are, are really bad for a lot of you. And things are almost always bad for a lot of us. Um, but you do have hope because, you know, you are blessed because you will be filled. You will laugh. Um, you know, surely your reward will be great in heaven. Um, so it's not that the world is all bad and stuff like that. It's just that reality in life is hard and challenging and painful for a lot of people. But Jesus is like, we do have hope. Um, and, uh, let's see, um, I know say who has been hungry and weeping and hated so far, the crowds, the disciples, Jesus himself, you know, um, as people are starting to follow him around and lay out accusations against him, you know, have been left, um, you know, hated and, and, and reviled and defamed. Um, Jesus went through his time in the desert where he was hungry for 40 days. Um, so, you know, as he's saying, you who are hungry, you who are weeping, you, you know, as people who hate you, like that's happening to him and his, and his group of people already. Um, but it seems like God is presenting a reality in these blessings of saying God is in the business of helping you who are hungry, who are weeping, who are hated. You will be filled. Remember that filled has a, has a messianic implication to it. It's like God will sustain and get you through this. Um, uh, and who's been on the other side? Like, so we have these woes and that's really uncomfortable for me. Um, just to hear Jesus being like, woe to you, you know, um, uh, you know, it's not that Jesus only focuses on, oh, God wants to help those of you who are kind of lowly people. Yeah, and that's great. It's like, oh, he turns, you know, and you who are rich and who are full now, you who are laughing, laughing um, when they when they speak of it and use that term, um, you know, as as a noun, like laughing people um, has a has a is associated with people who are being scornful towards others. Um, and woe to you who all speak well of you. Um, and uh yeah, um, I mean, so far in the story, we can ask ourselves the question of who has been on the other side, who have been rich, and who have been full, and who has been laughing, and who has been spoken well of by their community, um, and, you know, some of the, the people who are starting to oppose Jesus, these leaders who have been going around reviling and defaming him and Jesus' followers, like they're some of those people on the other side. And Jesus is kind of drawing a line. He says, like, you know, that's when people spoke well of you, like that's what they did to false prophets back in the day. You know, um, if you read through the Old Testament, if, if you were a prophet, it was an awful job. It was just an awful, awful job. We think that it might be great to be a prophet because it means you were like picked by God to be the person who gets to go carry messages. It was not a good job. Like, like, Almost every prophet, their life does not end well. They don't get out clean from situations because their job was to go and tell uh, kings and emperors and stuff like that that God was not happy with them. And often that made their life awful. Um, uh, but there were also prophets along the way who were like, no, kings and bad emperors, like, you're totally fine. Everything's going to be great. And everyone was like, yeah, we like that guy. Like, Steve is a booster, you know? Um, uh, and all people spoke well of them, but they were, the, you know, but woe to them, you know, because they were bringing false messages. 
Um, so all these Old Testament prophets um, constantly got crap from people all the time. And so Jesus is like, yeah, if you're getting crap from people, but you're trying to do the right thing, um, you know, surely your reward is great in heaven. And woe to you if you are just, you know, doing whatever you can for people to speak well of you. Um, and, uh, and it might be implied that even as we've kind of in the, in his context gotten like Jesus being contrasted as a certain kind of King against other Kings and rulers and power brokers within Israel and within Rome, that all those people are full and are laughing and are not helping poor, you know, people, they're not helping the lepers. They're not helping, you know, the average person. And yeah, they're, they're rich and they're full and they're laughing now, but Jesus is like, whoa, whoa to that. So um, let's go ahead and continue on in the story. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not even withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So second block of teaching, uh, we've moved away from blessings and woes. And Jesus is here just giving straight out, you know, ethical teaching like a, like a, like a, like a traveling teacher at his time would do. Um, and he, he's kind of laying out like, hey, those of you who are poor and, and are having a hard time right now. Yeah, life isn't great and it isn't easy and it's painful. And here's how we're going to respond to the world. And here's how we're going to respond to those who are, who are making life hard for us. So this is Jesus's plan for dealing with evil and it's generosity and love. And this is a brand new idea for the, for like the ancient world. Like there's verses in Leviticus, you know, where it says, Oh, you know, go and love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. But it never goes so far as to dare to say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Like, work for the active good of people who are bad and who are doing the wrong thing, is what Jesus is here saying. And, like, nowhere is that kind of a law. Like, like I mean, you can trace... Like that theme, and you can make observations in parts of scripture that show like God or people doing those kinds of things, but this is like the first time it's commanded. Like Jesus is laying out, like, if you're going to be my followers, he's talking to his disciples, this is what we're going to do. He's laying out a strategy for how they're going to deal with their enemies as the conflict in the story escalates. And it's love, bless, pray, offer, give, do. Like, it's all these active um, things in the world. Um, let's go ahead and continue on. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, like, like, let's focus on that real quickly for a second. Um, it's all active. So you who are poor and you who are weeping and you who are hated and reviled, like Jesus is telling them, you are the primary actors in what God is doing in this world. It's not a story that's only concerned with the emperors and the rich and the powerful or the local teachers that everyone loves or anything like that. It's, I want you to focus on you. And you're not just avoiding evil, you're actually actively going through and blessing them. And you're not praying against 
bad things, you're praying for the people who are doing bad things. Like, this is kind of a revolutionary, like, grassroots kind of thing of being like, hey, like us, we're the ones who are going to go create the kind of world that God wants us to create. You and me, regular poor people. It's kind of interesting. Now let's continue on in the story. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind. For God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And it takes a little bit of context and a little bit of knowledge about um, the Old Testament um, to really see how deeply revolutionary what Jesus is doing here is. Um, you know, he's saying that God's goodness and favor doesn't belong to an exclusive, specific group of people. Um, uh, you know, and if you are a person who believes that your goodness should only belong to a certain group of people who are all also good and also loving and who can pay you back and stuff like that, Jesus is like, if that's the way that you act, you're, you're not much better than a, than a sinner, you know, um, and he, and he's not just talking about how people are here. He's, he then lands it deeply in, um, in who God is and in God's character, like his ethics and his rules for how they're going to act. Isn't like, cause this is how we're going to be good people. He's like, this is how God is. There's a theological statement built into it. Like the ethics is based on the character of God, not on the character of others. So Jesus is here saying like, our goal is to be like God. He says, your reward will be great and you'll be children of the most high. Be, you know, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful as your father is merciful. So what he wants his people to do is to act not according to how other people act, but what they think God is like and what God wants. And that's really big. Um, so he's giving them a new code here. As Jesus formerly talked about, like, we're putting a new patch you know, and we can't just tag it onto an old garment. Like we're, we're building something new and, and it's new wine. We can't put it in the old wineskins. We got to have new wine because something new is happening. When Jesus says, be merciful, just as your father is merciful. He's actually altering the language of their Bible, of their scripture. Cause back in the old Testament, there's verses, uh, here and there that say, be holy, just as your father is holy. And often the way that that gets carried by people is like, we're supposed to be holy. To be holy was to be other, to be set apart, to be different. Um, and the way that they kind of lived that out was like through purity laws. So the so the Pharisees are all about like keeping the Sabbath and being, uh, you know, later on in the story, we're going to get to where they start arguing over laws about how clean things should be and stuff like that. Um, you know, and the temple was the holy place, you know what I mean? Um, cause it's supposed to be a pure place just for God. And here Jesus takes out the word holy and inserts the word merciful. It's a new code 
for them to have at the core of everything they do based on what they believe about God. So Jesus is saying the most important thing about God for us right now is not how holy God is necessarily. I'm not saying that God isn't holy and that Jesus didn't think that that was important. But he's saying it's that God is merciful. And you, if you want to be children of the Most High, if you want to be part of what I'm doing should be merciful just as God is merciful. And he qualifies mercy as being kind to the ungrateful and kind to the wicked. It's revolutionary. Um, And so uh, Jesus is messing with it. And you have to wonder if Jesus laying this out so clearly and so revolutionarily, in contrast to the way that the scribes, the Pharisees, the teacher of the law, like that they teach? Is he being like, hey, we're going to be different than them. They all want to be separate from sinners. They all, a lot of them, um, draw up lines. They don't want to be contaminated by lepers and stuff like that. We're going to go and be kind to all those people. Um, But also maybe hidden within here is Jesus declaring his difference of who he is and who he believes he is as the Messiah, as the Son of God. In contrast to how John the Baptist has also described what the Messiah is going to do. Because when John the Baptist says someone is coming whose winnowing fork is in his hand, he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff, and the chaff he's going to burn in unquenchable fires. You brood of vipers, you know what I mean? Um, John kind of lays it out as being like, yeah, someone's coming and and God's going to, you know, but it's going to be rough and it's going to be judgment and it's going to be fiery, you know what I mean? And here Jesus is like, God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, and we're all going to be kind and love all those people and do good for them and bless them as much as we can. You know what I mean? Um, There's a little bit of contrast to how Jesus believes that he and his people are going to live out what God is doing in the world. Um, Maybe even then other people who've gotten really close and have been a part of it already, like John. Interesting to think about. Let's continue on in the story. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure that you get back. Again, Jesus in his ethical teaching here is making the, his audience, regular folk, the primary actors in the world. So if they want to create a world where they won't be judged or they won't be condemned and or they will receive forgiveness, they need to be the people who first are active in going out and not judging, not condemning, forgiving others, giving to other people, being generous. So it's like Jesus is, is presenting a hopeful vision. We can create a good and wonderful, generous world, and it starts with us, everybody. We're going to go do that first. You and me, we're going to create a kingdom and create a world for people. Um, and it's a world where there's kind of like a little bit of reciprocation, but it does begin where Jesus is saying it kind of starts with us. We're going to be something different, and we're going to go be good to other people. Um, they should be the ones who initiate things in the world. So it's not their job to judge and condemn. It's their job to forgive and to give to others. Um, and, uh, and it's so hopeful because Jesus is like, we can do this. You know, we can go create a world where it's going to be good. Um, and it starts with us. Um, and again, this is kind of in contrast to the people who have been opposing Jesus so far, who have just been nothing but critical and nothing but accusatory and judgmental towards other people. And Jesus is like, you know what? Our job, not to judge, not to condemn, 
We're just going to forgive and give to everyone who wants of it. Um, and then he uses this language uh, from the marketplace um, when they would, when someone would go buy flour, like someone could kind of very carefully scoop it into a jar so that way there was a lot of air between the grain, you know, or they could scoop it in there, then press it down, shake it so that way everything worked its way down and then fill it up again so to the point where it's running over and then give it. And Jesus is like, that's what the world is going to be like. It's going to be good. There's going to be so much forgiveness, so much, you know, goodness, stuff like that. Um, and, and you're going to receive it as you give it to others. Interesting. Let's, uh, let's continue on. He also told them a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above their teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like their teacher. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, friend, let me take out the speck in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? (laughs) You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see the speck. You will clearly take, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. So again, uh, Jesus uses a little illustration to talk about and comment on this um, teaching that he's just given about judgment. And he's saying, um, it's, it's, it's not that we're not going to discern right from wrong or discern what's good from bad or something like that. Um, and, and even your goal is not to avoid judgment yourself, but to take care of your stuff, to be the active person. So that way you can then go and help others, like not judging others, but helping them. Like, that's the basis for what Jesus is teaching here. Like, he's like, yeah, like when you're at a point where you can get the giant log that you have in your own eye, which again, puts the focus on them. Like, I need to take care of my mess, you know, and my stuff and my first, before I even dare to criticize or anything, you know, about anyone else. But even theirs, I should look at their stuff as like a speck and look at mine as like a big giant log. But if you can somehow master it and get the log out of your own eye, Then your job is to help the others. Friend, let me take the speck out of your eye. Um, It's not about judgment. It's about helping. Like, that's a difference in the way that Jesus talks. Um, And that's kind of how Jesus is laying out a contrast between the way that he sees people who are sinners, you know, or people who are unclean, or people who aren't doing things right, and the way that some of his his opposition does see them, you know. It's like we don't avoid people who are doing wrong things. We don't stay apart from them. In fact, we will identify with them. We will go to their parties and stuff like that. But let's take care of our stuff first. And let's do take care of it so that way we can go help them. Um, You know, it's almost as if Jesus is laying out this idea that if you're a religious person, you should be less about judgment and more about helping. Imagine that. Um, Continuing on, Jesus says, No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorns, and grapes aren't picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of their heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So um, real quick commentary here. Again, Jesus is like, the good person out of the good treasure of their heart. It's like ethical teaching that puts the action and the focus, like as you're the listener, on you and your heart. Is my heart producing good? 
Or is my heart producing evil? And what do I need to get that good treasure in there to be a good tree? And then in the end, if you are a good tree, you grow fruit. It's a, it's a food image. Like, like if you're a good tree, anyone can walk by and pick from you and eat and have life and health. Like, and so Jesus is like, let's be good trees that can be good for others if we're doing this right. All right, let's go ahead and continue on. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what a someone is like who comes to me, who hears my words, and who acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood arose, the river burst against that house, but could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act... It's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the river burnt, uh, burst against it, immediately the house fell and great was the ruin of that house. So um, Jesus is, uh, is, is kind of wrapping up this block of teaching. Um, we don't really know exactly what he's responding to in particular, because he starts off with, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I don't, I don't, I don't know who in the crowd has been hearing him and isn't doing what Jesus has been teaching them. Um, it's not like we've had a story where that's happened yet, where one of his students is doing something like errant, you know? Um, but, uh, but the, the idea that Jesus is hammering home here is like, all right, if you're going to be my disciples and you're going to, you're going to be part of what I'm doing in the world, you got to, we, we're, we're going to go do it. This is how we're going to act. Um, like if you're hearing what I'm doing, you need to, you need to, it's, it should change your life in some ways, you know? Um, and the imagery that he's using about the house and the river and the flood, um, is, uh, is language that, um, it is kind of apocalyptic. It, it kind of points to usually when teachers of the time talked about this, they were kind of laying out some foreshadowing for what they thought was coming in the future. Like a day of atonement is coming a day of, you know, uh, where God's going to come in and kind of judge people, you know, like on, on who they are and what they've done and stuff like that. And he's using that imagery and it's a flood. Um, but Jesus is saying, look, if, if you follow my way, if, if, if we start to love, if we start to forgive, if we start to do good for evildoers, you're going to be all right. I mean, let's remember that he started off with saying, you know, blessed are you who are poor, who are hungry, who have been hated and things don't seem right for you. But if you want to be all right and you want to make it out to the end, follow what I'm telling you right now. Let's create this kind of a world. Um, so that way when the flood comes, you're ready to stand on it. Um, and again, the focus is on his followers. Jesus doesn't sit and give a, a sermon about like, oh, those guys over there, they're all awful people. He's like, you guys here, I want you guys to live like this. Um, and this is, this is for the people who call him Lord, Lord, you know, it's, it's, it's an interior conversation. Um, so even as Jesus does use some language about potential judgment coming, it's, it's only focused on his followers. It's not focused on like the world. It's like, this is, this is for you. You know, you've heard this. So therefore, you know, you have a responsibility to follow it through. Um, that's the end of the, of the text for today. Let's go ahead and jump into our questions. All right. So question number one, lo-fi question one, what is God like in Luke six? Um, it's a lot of teaching. It's a lot of ethical teaching. And so, um, and there's also the stories at the beginning, um, about Sabbath. 
um, where Jesus doesn't say that, you know, Sabbath law isn't important. And he actually lays out some new rules for his people. So there is kind of a, there are some like religious demands coming from Jesus. Like, um, so if we're following Luke along the lines of that, Jesus is the son of God. So what Jesus is doing is coming from God. Um, then we see that, yeah, God has like kind of an idea of this is how I want you to live. Like these, this is the way the world is like these demands, you know, these laws I'm, I'm laying upon you. Um, but even then, um, it's curious to look at what kind of laws Jesus is laying out. Um, especially in those Sabbath conflict passages, um, God does still have Sabbath laws for people, but they're not supposed to be lived out at the expense of the people following them, like at the expense of their health. If they have a need, if they, if they are hungry, they should eat, you know, um, the religion, the law, you know, um, the, the ethical teaching, it's supposed to be good for people in, in, in Luke six, like Jesus stands up for that. Um, you know, God is portrayed according to Jesus as being one who would give up his own bread, like the fancy temple bread, who's willing to give it up. And he's not angry about it. If people are hungry, go give them the bread. Like that's what God is like in Luke six. Um, and that's really interesting. Um, and then we get Jesus, um, walking around traveling and so many people are crowding around and so many of them are needy. You know, whether it's they're, they're sick or they have an unclean spirit or whatever it is that they need. It says, and he healed all of them. It's in the text. Um, God is walking around. He's come to earth. He's walking around. That's the story of Luke. And in Luke 6, God is walking around and Jesus doesn't walk around and just say, all right, I'm here to get what's coming to me. I, I want that temple. I want, I want all the taxes. I want the gold. I want the bread. I want, you know, you owe this to me. Like I'm God. I get it. You know what I mean? Jesus is there not to get what's coming to him. He's there to care and to give away. That's the kind of God that we get in Luke six. That's the story. Um, and we get the kind of God that values mercy over holiness or at least is redefining holiness as mercy. Like the primary quality of what God is like. That's what holiness is. Like only God is truly holy. And Jesus is like, yeah, the, the, the best thing, the, the, the most important thing, the core thing about God and who God is, is that he's merciful. So therefore we should all be merciful. God is, the, the God we have is a, is a God who's kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And yet in Luke 6, we have to hold that at least within a little bit of tension in that Jesus is like, whoa, woe to you. Like he's pronouncing woes over people. He's saying it's not okay for you to be the kind of person that treats people however you want. It's not okay for you to be laughing with scorn. It's not okay for you to be so full when so many people are so hungry. It's not okay for you to just treat people however you want. And it's, we have to kind of hold this to intention. God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And yet God is also like, it's, it's, uh, you're not going to get away with just doing whatever you want. There's going to be, it's, it's going to be hard for you in the future. And in that imagery of the houses at the end, it's like, it's like, yeah, if, if you're going to, if you're going to try and just live however you want, if you're going to listen to what I'm telling you and how you should be treating people in the world and not follow it, it's not going to be good for you because a flood is coming. So you need to do what I'm telling you. Like, 
This God is wants to share goodness and mercy and will be kind to people who are doing bad things, but at the same time is saying, it's not going to work for some of you guys. It's not going to be good. And it's, it's tough to try and figure out, is Jesus pronouncing woes because he's saying, woe to you, like I'm going to punish you, woe to you, or woe to you, like that's not how the world works and it's not going to work out well for you. If this is how you act, you know, in the house's imagery, is it like God's going to send a flood and wipe some of you out who aren't following my way? Or is it like the way the world is going to be, it's going to be bad for you if you're not living this way. It, we, we have to hold that intention. Um, um, you know, and if that's a little bit uncomfortable, that's, that's okay. T- that's the way tension is. But yet we do have God you know, in this passage saying, I'd rather the, I'd rather the hungry people get the bread than I get the bread. And that's really interesting. So, um, question two, what are people like? So who does well? Um, we don't have a lot of, um, just, just from the early stories, the conflicts, the, the narrative passages, we have these Pharisees, teachers, scribes, just butting heads with, 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 with Jesus. Um, and if we pick apart the reasons why they're having conflict with Jesus, it's because they're people who would who believe that God would rather have strict adherence to the laws than that they be people who experience God's goodness. Um, and this is tough because I I earnestly think that those people want what's good for people. Like um, their goal is is for people to experience. I th- they believe that God is good. And, but they believe that God has all these laws. And so they believe that strict adherence is the way that those people are going to experience God's goodness. So it's not like, you know, they're, I don't, I don't want to believe that these fairs, you know, that these people are evil or whatever. And, and maybe there's a time, even in Jesus's teaching that he's like, yeah, adhering to the things that I'm telling you to do is how you'll experience God's goodness. So it's not like Jesus is in conflict with law itself. It's just that if it comes down to it, there are some people who are like, God would rather have you follow the law than go with something to eat today. And Jesus is on the other side of saying, no, pick those heads of grain, roll them in your hands and eat them. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an argument over the nature of what's the purpose of religion. Like, who is this for? Did God create all these laws in this system so God can get something from us? Or did God create this law in this system so he can enjoy something with us that would be good for us as well? Um, or, or maybe their problem is, is that, um, these teachers and people have experienced the favor of God, but they limit who else is allowed to experience it instead of extending it where Jesus, Jesus is all about, let's extend, let's see how far we can take the favor. Um, so, uh, those people don't really do well with Jesus. Um, and then more laid out, um, a little bit clearly just in Jesus' teaching as we get, you know, the images of the houses and we get these woes and stuff like that. Some people are going to do really well and some people aren't in, in, in the midst of this movement that Jesus is doing. And uh, let's focus on who's going to do well. If you go through and you pick out all the verbs from Jesus' teaching, the people who do these things, because it's really behavioral, are the people who are going to do well with God. And here's what they are. Love, do good, bless, pray for, offer, do, love, do good, lend, lend expecting nothing, be merciful, forgive, take the log out of your own eye, 
take the speck out of your neighbors, produce good, hear my words, and act on them. People who do those things are, are going to do well, are going to experience goodness, are going to be part of what's good in the world. And it's important to remember that as we're saying love, do good, bless, pray for, that that's to everybody. That's to the wicked. That's to your enemies. And Jesus is here laying it out. Those people are those are those are the those are the people who are onto this. Those are the people who get what I'm doing. Um, those are people who uh, to use language used elsewhere in the story. Those are people who get in who are part of the kingdom of God, who the kingdom of God is close to. Um, so that's that's interesting. Question number three: Why would people carry this story and tell this story and carry these teachings that Jesus gives around? Why would Luke write it down? Why would people tell the stories for a while before Luke could hear them to write them down? After Luke wrote them down, why did they pick this book that he wrote to carry? Um, and why have people been talking about it for 2,000 years? Um, here's what I get from it. I would love to hear what you get from it. But here's what I get. Um, here's why I think people would carry it around. I think, I think they keep the story around because they're like, this is the heart of the teaching about the character of who we're supposed to be in the world. Um, like they believe that this is, that Jesus is God and that God is telling them to go love their enemies, um, to be the ones who are active in creating a certain kind of world and certain kinds of relationships, um, who are doing good, um, that whether you're rich or poor, that whether you're important in your community or not, that whether you're sick or healthy, that whatever your situation and your station is in life, you are being invited by this story to be an active participant in co-creating a new kind of thing with Jesus. Like there's a mission that these people have and this story lays out that mission really clearly, both through the stories about the Sabbath and in the stories where Jesus is like laying it out as ethical teaching. Um, you know, Jesus is saying this world is not determined by emperors and the people who are rich and the people who are laughing. This world is created by people from all stations or giving, loving, doing good. The stratification that God seems to have is different than the stratification that we often have. It's not that the powerful and the wealthy are more important and are blessed by God. Jesus is here saying, in fact, some of those people are going to experience the woe. Some of those people only have power and wealth because they've been going against what I'm doing. And so God like sees everyone on an equal playing field and everyone's invited to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Um, and maybe these stories remind them, whether they are rich or poor, as they're hearing and reading them, that they have a job to do. Um, and that they, if you are a rich person, you need to hold poor people in very equal esteem. And if you are a poor person, you need to be reminded from the words of Jesus here that you receive blessing, that God is has you on his mind. Um, and there was a time early in Christian history where to be a Christian, to go to church, to be baptized, to be trained and taught these stories was to be trained for martyrdom, um, where the Roman empire was very antagonistic towards the Christian religion and they would seek them out and they would put them in chains, you know, and they would take them to Colosseums, you know, or whatever. Um, and these stories would be close and really challenging to them of being like, this is how I'm supposed to respond in the face of evil in this world. I'm supposed to love my enemies, um, even as they, they're sending me out to be killed. Um, the ultimate way to be an apostle, as Jesus chooses and picks apostles here, 
um, is for me to give up my life, to give until I have nothing else to give, and then if they kill me, they kill me. Like, to give up my life in active non-resistance. Um, and these verses were really, really shaped their community early on. And you can, we can debate some other time about why that seems to maybe have changed it for, <laughs> for Christians, um, as they, uh, were no longer kind of being trained to be ready to love their enemies to the point of death. Um, these verses though, at the time would have been their core. It's been a revolutionary way of viewing and thinking about the world. Um, and I think they would have held on to those stories because, and this teaching in particular, because that's really been what's shaped their community in the most drastic um, kind of revolutionary ways that they experienced it. That's the end of the text. I'd love to hear what you thought. Well, you know, what do you think God looks like in this story? What do you think people are like? Who does well? You know, and, and why would people can't keep the story around? Go ahead and get in touch with me and uh, let's keep talking about it. Hi, everyone. I just want to say a quick thank you to you for listening to this episode of Lo-Fi Lectionary. If you liked the podcast, please help us out. You can review, subscribe, and share the podcast any way you can. Um, the more people we get in on the game, the funner this is going to be. Uh, if you want to participate in the discussion for this episode, you can come visit our website at kevinlester.net and follow the links to the podcast and then to the link for this episode. Um, you can also find our podcast on Facebook, and we can discuss and, and keep things going on there. Uh, just search Facebook for Lo-Fi Electionary, and you'll find us. You can also get in touch with me, Kevin, directly at lofi at kevinlester.net, and that's lofi with no dash, so L-O-F-I at kevinlester.net. And you can also find me on Twitter at lofi kevin with no dash again, so at lofi kevin. Um, that's kind of it, so thank you for coming, and we'll see you guys next episode. Thank you for listening.